Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Gmail. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. And my free time. Got to get that in there. Well, Black Friday's over. Um, Cyber Monday is just about ended. Oh, is, is, this, is, the, is this the podcast? <laughs> we, we, didn't, we didn't clap. Oh, uh, right. But hey, we can include this part. Little bonus outtakes. Here we go. Uh, one, two, three... You know, like uh, I did, I did it without you there for a couple weeks, and I kept forgetting about the clap thing. So I just, uh, uh, I didn't get used to it. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I yeah. so a friend of mine, uh, his American friend was coming to visit, and I learned that it's not just Black Friday and Cyber Monday anymore. Have you it's heard not- of Small Business Saturday? Oh yes, I did see something about this, uh, or rather, I saw that hashtag a couple of times. Blew my mind. So what? So what is Small Business Saturday? I assume it's Black Friday, but for small businesses. So you go okay. to the big back. You go to the big box stores on Black Friday. Hit up those small businesses on Small Business Saturday. Cyber Monday. So Sunday's the Lord's Day. Take it off. Cyber Monday. Uh, you get all those sick Amazon deals. Toonie Tuesday. That's here in Canada. Hmm. <laughs> uh. I wonder if that was any sort of success. We'll have to wait and see. Hey, how was uh, Small Business Saturday for you, dear listener? We are we are just about into December. In fact, as as a matter of fact, when we put this up, we will be into December. So happy start of Advent and true beginning of the Christmas season. Uh, you are listening to Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. My name is Will Young, and with me is my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Hello, hello. Uh, did you get any sweet Black Friday deals this year? No, no. I uh, uh, Besides Christmas shopping for other people, nothing crazy. I didn't walk away with like a 60-inch TV or anything wild like that. How about yourself? Pretty much the only thing that I did was uh, I uh, got a bit nervous that a couple of the deals on my wish list on the PlayStation Store would be gone, so I was so I spent a bit more money than I wanted to, but I got a couple of, couple of games at a pretty... Price. Mm. I borrowed. So, I I, I uh, borrowed near from a friend because I was like, I want to play this, but I don't, I don't want to spend money. So that was my big Black Friday deal. Was I got a friend to let me borrow his copy of near. If you're asking me, I think you did the right thing there. Uh, not that I think it's bad necessarily, but you could certainly save money. Like, I'm doing the same with Wolfenstein. I'm going to borrow that from a friend of mine probably next month before Ooh. that Game of the Year time. That's I, right. should, I should say later this month because Game of the Year is coming up in just about 30 days or so. I'm, I'm very excited. It's my me favorite too. time and of year. And I think this year I might actually be able to make something of a list, so I'm very excited for that as well. Well, right around the time that uh, Black Friday hit us, before we get into uh, our shenanigans here, I wanted to bring attention to something that was uh, that was dropped on the internet. In fact, this happened over the weekend. Uh, now, Lucas, you 
saw this as well, and those of you listening may be familiar with a certain photo set that came that was around the internet. I think you know places like Tumblr and Twitter. Twitter, I think, was the main place for it. Uh, that's where I kind of saw it shared around. But it was uh, Arthur. If it was an edgy teen drama, yeah, aka and, Riverdale, right? Exactly, and done very much in the Riverdale style. Well. Uh, not only did we get photos, but over the weekend, they uh, released a full trailer for this. Uh, now, it's not a real television show that's happening. It's just kind of a fun little project. But uh, what did you what did you make of this? I thought it was pretty cool. I, I really I liked it... the characterization of Buster and saying it was all aliens and stuff like that. Very consistent with the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's basically uh, Arthur in a bit more of a mature style. So they're, you know, high school students or maybe early college instead of, uh, uh, you know, elementary school. And it does feature uh, most of the, you know, main characters. DW's in there, Arthur, Francine, Binky, Buster. Uh, what was what was my favorite? I was trying to think. Uh, and they're very minimalist costumes, so they've got the ears and maybe a little bit of face paint, and uh, that's about it. Oh, my favorite part, actually, was... Um, what they did for Muffy is that like all of her, f- all of the footage concerning Muffy was over Snapchat. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I just want to give uh, those people a shout out. If you haven't seen it, check out uh, Elwood City Limits on either Facebook or Twitter. I shared the video over there, and uh, also want to make sure to give a shout out to the people uh, at DN Kula on Twitter, and you can of course uh, go back in our mentions as well. You can find them there, but very cool thing, and so neat to see people um, still thinking about Arthur into <laughs> their uh, into their adulthood, like we are. Yeah, it's not just us anymore. No, certainly not. In fact, it really isn't just us because we have uh, an email here uh, in our Gmail inbox. That's ElwoodCityLimits at Gmail dot com. This one comes to us from Lily who is very excited about something that we're going to be doing. She's a big fan of the podcast and of Arthur. She's a longtime listener, and she is very excited about the commentary that we're doing for Arthur's Perfect Christmas. And she just had to express her excitement. Uh, She says, I love the special in its cheesy moments and moments of genuine holiday spirit and nostalgia. Can't wait to listen for it. Thanks for it all. And happy almost perfect holidays. Well, I hope I don't don't bum Lily out too much because I remember not enjoying this special so much. But hopefully our our commentary uh, makes it just adds another layer of an enjoyment for her. Yeah, me too. And hey, we will give you all the details about that commentary at the end of the episode because chances are it will be either up already or up this weekend for you to enjoy with your December watch list. So let's get into it. We are now into Season 3, and this is a double dose of not just DW, but a couple of other uh, familiar characters in her world. Uh, With uh, this episode of Arthur, let's start off with DW all fired up. And uh, right from the get-go, they ain't kidding. Uh, DW is very excited to go to school in this episode. Uh, Hey, you ever been this excited to go to school in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. 
uh, especially preschool, you're getting out of the house, you're socializing. I totally could see this. I do think it was a little, um, I mean, in the way they set it up, they were like, oh, DW loves going to school. And I was thinking, I don't remember DW, that being part of DW's character, that she loves school so much. And then kind of, they explain later on in the introduction, uh, oh, you know, she didn't always love going to school. But at first I was surprised. I was like, I don't remember DW loving school. I think it makes sense for her character. Like you said, it's a, uh, for kids, it's a good time to socialize. And she definitely strikes me as more of an extrovert than somebody like Arthur. So she probably loves going to school and doing all that fun stuff. I'm just, I'm just saying that from my perspective, I think even in preschool, I wasn't a huge fan of going to school. If I could have stayed home and read and played with my toys, I would have been a happy camper. But I guess that's the introvert uh, in me kind of speaking up. Uh, but it's quickly turned suspenseful, this cold open, because, uh, you know, DW, you mentioned there, Lucas, that, you know, there was a time where she didn't love school so much. And right at the end of the cold open, she's strapped in the car and she's just like, I'm not going back there. I can't ever go back to school. I can't. It reminded me of, did you see, I think it's called Edge of Seventeen. It was like a movie that came out last year or the year before. It stars that girl from uh, True Grit, uh, and like uh, Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, yeah, Haley yeah, yeah. Steinfeld. Harry St- Haley Steinfeld, and like Woody Harrelson is her quote unquote cool teacher, and it's a coming of age drama. Uh, there's a plot line in that movie where when she was a little girl, she would never want to go to school, and so they drive up to the school, and then she'd be like, "I'm not getting out, and I'm not getting out of the car," and then eventually she does it. Spoilers as an adult again. But anyway, that's what this reminded me of. I didn't. I did not see that. I kind of meant to. It looked. It looked okay. How? How was it? it is, it's pretty. It's that's actually a pretty good movie. Actually, I really enjoyed Edge of Seventeen. Uh, Haley. Oh, geez, Stein. I want to say. I want to say Steinbrenner because it's like Seinfeld. It's like Mr. Steinbrenner, but then she'd be right. like, George, I need you to get the cows. Oh, George, I need, I need this. And that's most certainly not her character. Luckily, The Edge of Seventeen is on Canadian Netflix, so I just added it to the, <laughs> to the list. queue. It's on the queue. It's on the list. It's on the. It's on the queue. Uh, yeah. So we start off the episode. Miss Miss Morgan. We get another appearance from DW's uh, daycare teacher. Is it? Or, uh, sorry, preschool teacher. Daycare is a little different. Uh, and saying that their class is going to have their very first fire drill. Uh, this was actually a meme alert right here because I've definitely seen this. Uh, this fire drill cutaway before where uh, DW is impressed by the idea of a fire drill, but then it imagines that it's a drill that breathes fire. I actually really like this because this is really realistic kid logic. Like, I remember yeah. when I was a kid and my dad, we'd be on a road trip or something, and he's like, oh, I got to go onto the off-ramp. And immediately my mind pictures, like, a Dukes of Hazard style literal ramp that the car would go off. So in kid <laughs> logic, like, you take a lot of things literally. I could totally see myself assuming a fire drill was a uh, drill that shoots a column of flame. Now, them Mancini boys, they found themselves <laughs> in a whole mess of trouble. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I would have necessarily followed that logic, but I mean, for sure, it's, you know, you hear fire drill, it's, you don't exactly think of what it actually is, and I like how they had the, uh, the tiny welding masks in DW's mm. fantasy, uh, but no, she explains that, you know, it's what the, the emergency plan of what they do in case there's a fire, in which, uh, DW only he- hears the word fire, and she's like, wait, is our class gonna be on fire? And the Tibble twins throughout this don't really antagonize her, but are really psyched about this from the outset to almost a uh, 
a little cautionary degree, especially Tommy, I found. He's like, uh, <laughs> Timmy says something to DW, and then Tommy's just like, fire drill. Yeah, fire drill. Yeah, Timmy's like, or Tommy, is acting like he's a Pokemon and his name's fire drill. They just keep repeating <laughs> it. Uh, Tommy Tibble used fire drill. It's super effective. But this was one of those episodes is that that if uh, DW paid maybe slightly more attention, like a smidge, the whole episode wouldn't have happened. Uh, so that's a little bit annoying. It always sucks when it's like, oh, like a tiny misunderstanding that the audience is aware of is the crux of the episode. Uh, but they needed a plot. Right. And of course, you know, no, almost nobody can answer her questions for her because, you know, most of her peers are just kids. Although Miss Morgan does say all of her questions will be answered. You think one of those questions would be, is the school really going to be on fire when we do this? <laughs> That's right. If she was a little bit more pointed with her questions, uh, we could have saved us the trouble. I guess she just doesn't have the journalistic instinct. Mm. So, yeah, DW's imagination kind of runs away with her, and uh, she is picturing the fire as uh, really malevolent. Uh, The Reed family are cooking outside. Dad's using, you know, the hibachi grill, and it's got a big open flame as he's cooking, like, drumsticks on it. And she imagines, like, the fire becoming almost sentient, and, like, the fire demon that kind of comes out of it is a little bit intimidating for kids. (laughs) Yeah. Like we get a shot. It like cuts to her face, like staring into the open flame. Um, Yeah. Like, like she's a Vietnam vet or something or, or like a a lady Melisandre from game of Thrones. She saw it in the (laughs) flames. (laughs) Um, And I will say to DW's credit, I also hate fire alarms. So I kind of get her anxiety about it. For me, it was not so much the fact that it denotes a fire, but more I just, I hate that loud noise. Even now, like our, our smoke detector has been having, you know, problems. It's a little bit too sensitive. And every, every time it either wakes us up or just goes, it's like, it's, it just causes me anxiety. I hate being surprised by loud noises. See, my girlfriend's like a fade of fire proper, like to the extent of like, it's like if we're, if I'm like cooking something with oil on the countertop and it starts really like, like bubbling out and spitting out, it always makes her nervous. Um, But me, I grew up around fire, baby. Like Boy Scout 101, you respect the flame, you learn not to fear the flame. So uh, the fire ain't no thing to your boy Lucas. Uh, he smells uh, like smoke because he's been through fire, Maggle. Like exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so when DW is looking into this fire, she's kind of absent-minded, and we have this great visual gag, almost like uh, a Three Stooges-esque like physical comedy, where Bust uh, Arthur is trying to fill up her lemonade glass with a jug of lemonade that is the same color as his shirt. And DW keeps kind of moving out of the way absentmindedly, and he keeps almost spilling the lemonade on himself. He does it like all two times, maybe three times, and I got a kick out of it. Yeah, no, it it is funny. You're right; it almost does harken back to that old kind of not silent movie, but like almost old, like, like a like a Buster Keaton Marx Brothers like whoa, whoa like it, it does have that kind of prop physical comedy vibe. For sure. Uh, So DW during the night can't sleep, so she decides to take it upon herself to test all the smoke detectors, which is a a little moment of, uh, I guess, uh, excitement for the, well, excitement's uh, a bit too much of a positive word. It causes a bit of worry for the Reed family, but they find DW downstairs, like, on a chair using a broom to uh, 
to hit the button to test it. Which begs the and, question, if she didn't yeah. know that a fire drill contained no actual fire, how did she figure out what a smoke detector was and which button to press to test it? And I feel like there's a lot of things that DW would just inherently know in that scenario. Maybe that's one of the questions that they ended up answering, like mm. what is a smoke detector? But hey, they didn't show their work, so that's a that's a that's an adequate question. Uh, we we also get a little bit of a nightmare sequence from DW, which certainly we've seen quite a few times in Arthur. This one was a little bit different in that, um, you know, I think that a lot of the dream sequences are very you know fantastic and. Uh, and imaginative and this one was as well but in kind of a different way and i know we've dropped this name many times this one really did strike me as like lynchian in a sense Interesting. because it's like because it's like it, i found that it was like playing with perspective like dw wakes up and she finds herself tiny in her bed and there's like a little effect of the camera kind of shaking back and forth so there's a bit of motion blur and she races outside the door is huge and she jumps up to get it and she sees the Tibble twins and like fire outfits as they walk into a fire and they're both going fire drill fire drill so this it's it, like i was expecting kyle mclaughlin to be sitting in the corner and just taking it all in <laughs> do you want to remind me of yeah. uh like like an indie first person horror game on like steam like one of those like <laughs> uh, um, uh amnesia ripoffs where like you're walking and then the door gets all big and bendy and then you open the door and it's like oh there's a fire in this room uh they played a bunch of those types of games for the uh, giant bomb series uh six what is it called six crazy frights i think it's called yeah, uh, six or seven crazy frights, something right, like that. Right, right. And there was one that was like a painter game where, like, you go up to a picture and then all the stuff comes out of the painting. This is what it reminded me of. Like, one of those made-on-Unity first-person Steam horror games. Well, and there are a fair amount of uh, um, first-person shots as well from DW's perspective. So I, I totally get what you're going for there. Uh, so the next morning, she is very, very tired and worried so she kind of begs off from school which you know when you're that age it's pretty pretty easy it's not like she's going to be missing anything terribly important arthur tries to get on get in on it too is just like i was up all night from the smoke alarms too guess i can't go to school either and mom totally calls him on it, just like you got a don't you got a math test today and he's like well yeah but oh well, and he, he, his argument was never really that solid in the first place. Like, if he was actually sick, it shouldn't matter if he had a bath test, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, we also get a an alt attire from DW. So we're used Ooh. to her wearing... We're used to her wearing like the pink, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, the button up and uh, the white white dress. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really terrible at... Uh, uh, I, <laughs> I, reali I realized recently I'm very terrible at naming like... Uh, clothing items that women typically wear. So whether this is a you know a blouse or a jumper or what have you, I, I'm not sure. I I mean it's kind of a sundress. Are you talking about what she wears in her alt attire? Because her regular... no, what she what her regular. Hey, let me pull up a picture real quick. This is what we could do with the magic of the internet while we're well, recording. Well, I and I can I can tell you what her alt attire is. It's like she's wearing a kind of peach colored shirt and. Uh, uh, purple overalls with kind of miscolored uh, pockets on them. So almost like she's going to go paint a house. So I don't know if there's a specific name for this outfit. If it is, please email and correct me. But she's got white leggings on. Uh, she's got like a white shirt and a pink dress. 
So it's like that that shirt dress combo that's actually recently very much come back into style. You see that kind of style of thing at like an urban outfit or something where it's like the spaghetti strap strap dress uh, over like a t-shirt. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a name for this though. I, I would just call it like a pink sundress. Okay, works for me. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I don't know if we ever see this uh, attire again, but it's interesting uh, to denote that she's uh, uh, that's kind of her stay-at-home uh, duds. Makes sense. Uh, she, Overalls, I don't know if you've ever partaken in, are very comfy. Probably only when I was DW's age. I haven't worn overalls in 20 years or so. Uh, she does She does see the Tibble twins coming home from school, and uh, they. she asks them, uh, kind of in a roundabout way and then directly if there was a fire drill today and they're just like nope and it's just like I guess we didn't miss it after all Nadine kind of shows up here and here and there in this episode too so DW goes to school the next day still trying to convince her mom that she's sick oh this is a she, great line yeah she just goes I'm still sick look at my elbow it's all wrinkly which of course your elbow's always wrinkly yeah what, it uh, is kind of weird though like I don't know I never really thought about it until this Arthur episode. I guess I don't stare at my own elbows that often. They are indeed uh, wrinkly. Uh, we get actually a succession of uh, some good lines here. So, you know, Mom uh, asks her what's the matter and then finds out that DW is afraid of the fire drill. She offers to go in with her, but DW uh, says that's okay. And when she's in there, she's talking to Nadine, and she says, there she goes, the best mother I ever had. I may never see her again. <laughs> I love it when DW has, like, uh, gravitas for a situation mm. that does not merit it whatsoever. Yeah, she tends to be hyperbolic. Uh, she also says, Nadine's like, why didn't you ask your mom to come with? And uh, DW says something to the effect of, uh, I didn't want to have her to have to deal with all this fire drill stuff. She's too nice. Uh, in fact, we find out later as Miss Morgan is explaining more kind of fire safety tips. She wonders where DW is, and she finds out that uh, somebody points her out. Uh, that she's staying outside the school but looking through the window. And she has a line here, do what you want to the school, but I will not be part of this insanity. Back at home, they finally figure out a way for her to get more comfortable with the idea of a fire drill. They give her a her own uh, fire uh, person hat, firefighter hat, and a, and a yellow whistle. So different than the one that she had, but sort of a li- little bit more cylindrical. Yeah, you would have named- thought they would have known better. DW and whistles <laughs> don't mix. I, I I wrote that down too, um, but yeah. So they give her these and name her the official fire warden of the Reed House. Another another <laughs> another great line here. DW's like, I'm a warden now. Great, back in your cell. And she points at Arthur, and Arthur's like, It's not that type of warden. DW. <laughs> Arthur's like, Andy Dufresne crawled through. Uh oh, I don't remember the quote, but that's <laughs> just for insert Shawshank joke here with DW as the warden. So it's DW's job to like think up a fire escape plan and to get everything ready so that she has a modicum of control over the situation, which I think is a good idea. However, in her fire uh, safety plan, which we see the Reed family running through, um, they so of course with a lot of these. And I remember hearing this kind of semi-recently, like when you have a fire or an emergency situation, always pick a relatively close by meeting place for all the family to go to and make sure everybody knows where the meeting place is. So for them, it's a tree that's outside their house. And I got to say, I think it's a little, a little too close if, if the house was on fire. I mean, I didn't really notice this. Um, I don't know. Cause like, 
when I did fire drills in uh, high school, it was never really that far from the school you get outside. Right, but like at everybody least just kind of lines up right next to the school. At least in that case, like for me, I was in like a brick building, so I imagine it would take quite a. And you know, schools are usually pretty big, so I imagine that a, that a fire may be able to be contained to at least one section. But uh, I just I just found like I feel like the meeting place should be like at least across the street just for <laughs> just for safety. But that's but that's just me. Arthur's dad's uh, like, why don't we meet in my warehouse full of eight millimeter film stock? <laughs> I've been collecting it for years. <laughs> oh and no! The basement full full of eight millimeter film stock and oily rags. Yeah, that's right. It's where I keep my eight millimeter fuel fuel, fuel stock film stock next to my butane supply. <laughs> uh, you never know when we're gonna need it. D- uh, DW is also like again taking it very seriously. She thinks that uh, the bathroom's on fire when Arthur's taking a shower, but it's just steam. And she ta- and she takes his wet towel and puts it around her head just so that she'll be protected no matter what. But Arthur reminds her that she she'll catch a cold if she uh, keeps that there for too long. Someone do a, a shot comparison of DW with the towel on her head and Steph Curry with the towel on his head. Uh, <laughs> that's like a thing that NBA players do all the time when they like just put in some hard minutes on the court and they bench they're uh, benched. They'll uh-huh. uh, like they always put the big the like big team towel on top of their head, and that's exactly what DW looks like. Specifically with like the white warriors colors, she looks just like Steph Curry. I thought I got a huge kick out of it. <laughs> I'll have to take a look for that myself. Uh, Arthur tries to calm her down, but I, you know he doesn't do a very good job. To be honest with you, he says, "I was really scared before my first fire drill too, but it was okay." Did that make you feel better? And I'm just like, if you have to ask then, you know, it usually doesn't work. And and a, a DW kind of comes back at him and just like, but that was in the olden days when you were in preschool. Things have changed, Arthur. <laughs> Which is a really funny line. Just yeah. the, the concept, the DW has the concept of the olden days, like back in the day when Arthur was in preschool, what, like four years ago, three years ago? Yeah, back in the Cretaceous, practically. Mm. Um, so DW can't stop focusing the next day at school on the fact that the fire drill, she feels like it's really going to happen. Uh, oh, there's a- This is my favorite joke of the entire episode. This is a fantastic joke. This was this is might be like one of the all time best Arthur jokes, and, and I absolutely agree. Like I had to pause the episode; I was laughing so hard. So there's several shots of her like doing something and staring at the clock as it goes on, and then after three times, it goes back to her, and she says, "Boy, I sure wish I could tell time." <laughs> that's just like Arthur or not. That's just like a solid joke. Like yeah, good on and, them. And see the the joke that the place that I associate that joke with is there's a very similar one in Futurama in the episode where the ship becomes uh, sentient and it's trying to read two characters' lips like it's this it's like the shot from oh, 2001. Oh, it's like a 2001 parody. Yeah, and she keeps looking back and forth to each of them and just like, oh, if only I knew how to read lips. <laughs> but I think Arthur actually got to that joke first. Wow. So, but it is really funny. And like, I can't believe that I never noticed that joke until watching it just now. Mm. So very, so kudos to them. Uh, eventually DW is able to distract herself by building a castle with Emily. And then the fire drill rings. Now this of course, uh, will sound, I want, like, I wonder how this sounds to people. So I'm going to go on a, on a bit of a strange tangent here. 
but just follow me. Uh, so the fire drill itself kind of sounds, you know, very mechanical. It's a little bit of a lower tone. But I remember when I first watched this episode when I was a kid, and I was like, my fire alarm at school doesn't sound like that. And then I think Arthur was on uh, CBC for a time. Like, I think they might have, it, or like maybe in just a different airing. I remember for you Americans, cha- that's the Canadian Broadcast Company. Right. Channel. And I remember it being on like a, a Canadian uh, a Canadian channel. And they actually changed the fire alarm sound to make it sound more like a Canadian school. That's crazy. Is that like is that true or is that just you filling the gaps in your brain? Like is that I I, I really think it happened. Like oh. I, I I can't I can't prove it obviously. Like I I would have to look into this a little bit more, but like I'm I feel certain that it happened. You know, memory can play tricks on you and so I might be totally wrong, but I just I'm really I really feel like that happened. Anyway, it it, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter either way. I just wanted to put that in. There. I'm just happy they didn't use the iPhone alarm noise because a lot of movies and TV shows will use the ar- iPhone alarm noise because I assume it's just like a standard alarm sound effect. Uh, and that like I hate it when they do that because that's like my wake up in the morning alarm. And so I get this like weird feeling whenever I hear it in a TV show or a movie. Like oh I don't want to get up for today, but like I'm sitting down to enjoy a movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like all the blood like rush. I like have a rush of blood, and I'm like I get just a weird feeling whenever I hear my alarm noise, but in a movie. No, I do know what you mean because uh, I was actually just watching clips from a movie today, and it had the same. Uh, alarm sound as my clock radio and as it, but it was an alarm on a plane and it's the exact same alarm because I've heard it before and I'm like that's not right hmm. and I'll, and also I was just like oh is it time to get up yeah totally like if you hear it enough then you get this innate response so that makes that absolutely makes sense uh so the fire drill does go off and uh the kids are you know, a little, at least a little taken aback, except for the Tibbles, who turn out to be talking a big game, but then are completely freaking out to the point that they, like, collide into each other. That's right. We get a little bit of a, a callback to when they were saying, fire drill, fire drill, but now it's like a panicked, fire drill, fire drill. Uh, hey, uh, I remember in the last episode of Elwood City Limits, where we talked about the Ballad of Buster Baxter, you mentioned a Hitchcock zoom. It happens here in uh, the hallway. That's as, right. As they're... As they're walking to the door, the door seems to get further away as they keep walking, and they use that same technique. So uh, that was on my mind a little bit. Uh, the fire drill, I mean, I got to say, it's pretty dramatic reactions from most of the kids, which, I mean, will happen. But I, I don't remember my uh, fire drills in elementary school being so fraught with terror and uncertainty as these ones are. I remember you know, specifically in elementary school, a lot of people imitating this scene, like a lot of people pretending to be the Tibble twins being like, I can't breathe. I still smoke. Yeah, by th- a lot of people, I probably just mean my direct friend group. Right. Uh, yeah. Tommy has a, a very uh, dramatic reaction. Just like smoke. I smell smoke. I can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty over the top. And of course he's just, very scared, which is, you know, understandable for a situation like this. But again, talking a big game. Uh, but DW is the one to kind of ferry the Tibble twins and some of her other friends forward with her knowledge of how to react in a fire drill. So she ends up kind of surprising herself with how much uh, how she's able to keep it together when under pressure. So good for her. That's a good life skill to have. 
she asks Miss Morgan when the next fire drill will be, and she says not for a while. And DW uh, asks if there's any other drills that they do, like a volcano drill or my favorite, a sudden loss of gravity drill. Um, which is the I name, think which this, is the name of my uh, which is the name of my band that I'm uh, getting together. <laughs> your your prog rock band, sudden loss of gravity. Um, this is another clue to the location of Elwood City. I know we've kind of abandoned that quest uh, a few a while ago. Uh, it's pretty much like it's it's probably just in Massachusetts at this point. Like it's probably just in Massachusetts. But if you were still looking for concrete clues, uh, if they were on the west coast, they would probably have to have a uh, earthquake drill, which Miss mm. Morgan did not mention. And they're definitely not in tornado country either, because they would need a tornado drill. That's right. I think we have determined, you know, the general the general area uh, and uh, all that sort of thing. But, yeah, we're still looking for exact coordinates here. So if that's your thing, uh, get on it. And then, of course, the episode ends with DW going back home. And, you know, she got through it just fine. And she has herself a freshly baked cookie. And now a word from us kids? No, a word from my new favorite character and best friend, Firefighter Scott from Beantown. And now a word from me, Firefighter Scott. Straight out of Boston, <laughs> it's Mark Wahlberg's latest performance as Firefighter Scott. I'm Firefighter Scott from Beantown. These are my fire pants. I wear the fires. I wear these to the fires. <laughs> when I chat in on some chatter. Hey, kids. I, I'm a... I, if you see me, don't be scared. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Let me tell you something about Tom Brady. Tom Brady's a god. He's a god. <laughs> Firefighter Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I love him. I love him. I love his bullet. <laughs> I love how excited he is to tell the kids that if you see him wear his mask on, don't run away. I love his, like, supervisor who's like, yes, Firefighter Scott who, like, has zero accent and is like, Firefighter Scott, we need you to walk towards if you see a firefighter. I love how, like, awestruck the kids are by the fact that the fire truck's elevator, uh, 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 ladder goes up and they all clap and applaud. Uh, his supervisor did have a slight Boston accent, but it was not near cartoonish levels like Firefighter Scott was. Firefighter like, Scott. That was the first thing I wrote down was F-Y-A dash, oh, where is it? F-Y-A dash F-I-G-H-T-A space capital S-C-W-O-T-T. Firefighter Squat. Every time I wrote down fire, I wrote it down F-A-H-R-S. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so it's it's the kids, it's uh, local kids going to local Boston kids, no doubt about that, going to a fire station, which is cool because I don't think I ever got to visit a fire station when I was little. Uh, I definitely did, and I don't remember if they still had the poles or not. I feel like the poles are like, like, come on, guys, we have elevators. How fast could you possibly need to get downstairs? I know you need to be in a hurry. But I can't imagine a lot of fire departments still have the poles. That just seems nuts. You know, I have I have a friend who's a volunteer firefighter. I should have asked him that. But that when I was little, I realized that I couldn't be a firefighter because I can't slide down a pole. I'm sure they trade you, Will. I don't think that's like, can't slide down a pole? Eh. Can't be a firefighter. Sorry. 
But yeah, like you said, he kind of takes him, th- takes him through, shows him all the firefighter gear and all this sort of thing. Like, if you see me with this mask on, you hear this. I'm not, a, I'm not a monster. I'm a I'm friend. I'm not a monster. That's what he talks about. He's not a monster. Uh, I like that part. My favorite part though was still when he points out, "These are my pants. I wear to fires." That's a, he. That's <laughs> the exact wording. My pants. I wear to fires. And you got to feel my hand here, because when I'm trying to reach for you, you got to know what my hand feels like. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is this is great. And, this is a uh, fancy... It's not even a word from us kids. We never hear the word now from words to us kids. We It's literally introduced as, and now a word from me, Firefighter Scott. Yeah, you weren't kidding. <laughs> uh. No, it's, it's tremendous, and it's a nice little piece of Bostonia to take along with us. So I thought you were getting around to it. It's just like, yeah, we know where Elwood City is, because... Of course, WGBH Boston, and so you figured it would be somewhere around there. And, of course, this is as Boston as it gets, baby. I wonder if Firefighter Scott retired or not. Mm, yeah, I got my pension. I've been putting in my uh, – uh, oh, I don't remember the name of the form. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I could take more Firefighter Scott, so let's, let's move on. Mm. All right, so our second half of the episode uh, concerns, again, D.W. and the Tibble Twins with I'd Rather Read It Myself. Uh, Arthur introduces this episode talking about how, you know, D.W. sometimes drives him crazy, but the one who drives D.W. crazy is the Tibble Twins, which I thought was kind of interesting because you've got, so D.W. is the hard counter for Arthur, the Tibble Twins are the counter for D.W., and Arthur is the counter for the Tibble Twins. So we have kind of like a Fire Emblem triangle that we've just filled out. The the Arthur Weapons Triangle? Yes, there you go. So we have ourselves the Arthur Weapons Triangle. Uh, so we get a little bit of the Tibble Twins torturing D.W., where they're like playing in the sandbox, and one of them says... We can yell louder than you, DW. And DW's just like, I don't care. <laughs> so that was funny. This is, uh, it, is, it is really f- fun to see, like, it's a fun role reversal because usually, like, DW's role is as the annoying one. So to see DW have those feelings to someone similarly to how Arthur feels about her is, like, a fun – it's just a fun set piece for that character. Uh, we also get the first of two different transitions in this episode. It's like a rolling tibble head with an accompanying laugh, which thankfully doesn't stick around too long. But <laughs> again, if you're not a fan of the Tibble Twins, there's a lot of them to go around in this episode. And so they are talking about how they learned to do things before she did, like ride a two-wheeler and tell time. Which right, I also, great callback. Yeah, this this is funny, the telling time thing, because the clock's at like... I don't know, five after four or something. And DW says, what time is it? And one of them says, it's 11-12. And the other one just goes, he's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's a perfect con that they pulled over. It's it's foolproof. It's flawless. Well, speaking of foolproof cons, uh, they also uh, cause bodily harm to one of our favorite Arthur characters when they set a tiger trap, uh, a... what is it called? What is the place it's from? A a, a, Bur- a Ease Tiger right, Trap. Right, a Burma Ease Tiger Trap for Mr. Haney. And this is, I, Will, I don't know if you already had a pick for the screen ga- grab for the cover of the episode, but it has to be this brief shot of Mr. Haney, Haney sitting in this, like, six-foot hole holding a peanut butter cup smiling in this tiger trap. 
All right, that I can do for you. Um, yeah, so they, they set up a trap to lure a tiger. Now, this is probably their most dangerous prank or, like, stunt yet. And, you know, Mrs. Tibble asked, did you boys ask permission to dig this hole? And I'm just thinking, like, how did they dig that hole without her possibly knowing? It would have taken hours oh, for those yeah. two little boys to dig a hole. Like they Especially would... big enough for... A, like a full grown man to not just fall into, but like be able to sit inside. <laughs> it's like a really deep hole. And like, that's serious damage. Like you're going to have to do some serious landscaping to cover that up afterwards. But my favorite part of all this is that Mr. Haiti doesn't seem like too disturbed by the whole process. He's just like, can I keep the, can I keep the peanut butter cup? Uh, actually, yeah, it would, it would take a lot to cover that up. And we get that in the very next scene. There's a couple of really, uh, like quick jokes in succession here, which I, which I want to point them out in turn. So first of all, there's DW. She is, um, reading like up. She's like, uh, what her, um, uh, how would you describe the position that she's in reading this book? Uh, oh, I don't remember what this is. Her, her head, her head, her, her head's on the floor on a pillow and she's like, She's, like, dangling off the couch. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. And oh. She, and she's reading a book, but she's reading it upside down and then turns it right side up. And it's just funny because she can't read, so it doesn't matter which way that she's reading it. She's just kind uh, of pantomiming reading. Yeah. And then uh, Mom comes in to say that the Tibble twins are coming over for an hour while Mrs. Tibble goes to buy sod. <laughs> That's you, funny. Would, the, the the things DW suggests that they do to prepare is also very funny. Don't worry, Mom. You lock up the china. I'll go get a soccer ball and keep them out in the yard. It's like they're entertaining two puppies or something. Yeah. But I just, the the Mrs. Tibble going to buy sod thing. It like I had to listen to it twice before I got it. It's a really nice subtle joke there. Uh, so but then of 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 course it starts to rain. In fact, thunder and lightning, I believe. And DW's like, I'm going to be trapped inside with the Tibbles for a whole hour? <laughs> and this is another one where, especially in relation to the Tibbles, DW uh, is having to be the mature one, which is a bit of change for her character. And I kind of like seeing her in situations like this. She tries to distract them with a, with uh, coloring, and they just kind of take the coloring book and just... Uh, just doodle mindlessly on every page. And this is a terrific line delivery. DW is looking through it and then looks directly at the camera and goes, this was my favorite coloring book. Yeah, they're able to ruin every page in the entire coloring book in a matter of seconds. Uh, and just a terrific heartbroken delivery. I loved it. Um, she goes. She goes to ask Arthur what he did to make them calm down. He says, I read them a story, which... I mean, he kind of made one up, but, you know, whatever. Uh, to, to serve the ends of this episode, you know, it's fine. Uh, when she comes back to the couch, they're uh, jumping on the couch, putting their shoe prints on the ceiling. That's going to be no fun to clean up. <laughs> it's, uh, just like, it's just like sheer mischief. They're like gremlins. You know what I they mean? Really... Like, what, they barely get anything out of jumping on the couch and putting the shoe prints on the ceiling. But it is just chaos incarnate. Absolutely, and my goodness, I mean, oh boy, uh, gremlins cannot be further on the mark. Don't feed the tibbles after midnight, you mm. know? Uh, so she says, sit down and I'll read to you. And 
uh, and and they immediately say the only real stories are in books and you can't read. I just found the the only real stories are in books thing was kind of strange and definitely kid logic at its best. The Tibbles are big believers in the medium of print. Yeah, keeping that alive uh, in in this day and age. Uh, But DW uh, says that she can read and she's been reading since last Thursday. Which is which? Which they remain highly dubious of because, of course, they know how to do everything before DW, and so if she can't, if they can't read, then she can't. But she uh, is determined to read them a story. So they at, fir- at first pitch her a book that has pictures in it, so that she'll know they'll know if she's reading it wrong. But then she just gets one that is all words, so that uh, they can't uh, call her bluff on it. I, I did, I did kind of like this, the opposite not working out for them. Like, they point at a word on the television, and it says, like, Elbow Zonic is the name of the brand. <laughs> yeah, which and is, like, a weird name for a fake TV brand, Elbow Zonic. I believe it. I mean, it's it's a little bit out there, but, like, I've... It's, I definitely, I've heard... it's definitely probably not going to be, like, a high-class TV, you know what I mean? It's one of the cheap ones from Costco, like an Insignia or a, uh, a Vios. It's not, it's not a, a Samsung or a Sony. <laughs> No, certainly not. Uh, and she just says, it says television. And they're just like, is that right? I don't know. I can't read. So the whole confirmation bias thing doesn't work out for them in the end. So DW sits down and reads, starts to read it to them. These are the adventures of a smart, great, perfect girl named BW. And of, and of course, again, the Tibble's not as smart as they think they are. Uh, one of them says, that's close. If it was DW, I'd think you were making this up. But because it's BW, oh that, oh well, then that's okay. And at this point is when I realized, oh, this is this episode, uh, right? Because I remember last uh, last episode of the podcast, you had read me the names of these episodes. They are yeah. uh, all fired up, and I'd rather read it myself, which are pretty like nebulous names out of context, like. Mm-hmm. Usually Arthur episodes are like, Arthur does this, DW's this, Francine's this. I'll read it myself. I'm like, what could that be? But once DW started telling the story of, uh, what was it, BW? I was like, oh, it's this episode. That's right. Uh, Because this does take up a chunk of the episode. It's DW reading this uh, story to them, and it's just all represented in this elongated fantasy sequence. It's kind of like the episode in season two where most of the episode is DW's dream. Uh, but it's, but it's even more fantastic than that. I love the way that this opens. So she's describing all the characteristics of BW, which is of course her self insert Mary Sue character in this book that she's just creating on the fly. You know how she's like a incredibly smart and she's very humble, and she owns a pony, and it's kind of uh, switching between outfits in, like, paper doll fashion. Mm. I liked that. I thought it was kind of neat. It's, like, hearkening to, like, how Barbie has all these different jobs and talents, like, oh, sales associate Barbie and Dr. Barbie. Right. And there is a, (laughs) at least at first, there's an element of sort of grasping improv that DW's doing, you know, it's like, and she had her own pony who lived in her room, and her parents <laughs> said that was okay. Like, it, it was, again, very good line delivery of just, like, really making it up on the fly. Mm. And I thought this was I thought this was odd. And, of course, there's going to be a lot of odd things in this part of the episode. But it's like, so the, the, the pony lives in her room, and they have a bunk bed. Pony on the top bunk, which is a bad idea. 
Um, and mom and dad come in. Mom kisses DW goodnight. Dad kisses the horse goodnight. Um, I, the less said about that, the better, I guess. All right, well, then let's move on. Just wanted to make sure I pointed that out because it was... I'll tell you what. I'm glad you did because I didn't notice that. And if I had, I would have said something. (laughs) Uh, So the villain of this piece is... uh, Excuse me. BW's evil big brother, who, of course, is Arthur, but she never names him, who is not just a big brother, but he's a big brother mecha transformalizer. And we see uh, Arthur outside of the house transforming into different kind of machines essentially it's like he's a transformer so it's like there's a robotic version of him there's a plane version a helicopter and then like a flying soup can no it's a it's a lima bean can actually it's a callback oh yes so almost every and we're probably gonna get into this there's almost too many to name but every single facet of dw's uh essentially fan fiction that she tells the tibble twins are references to other Arthur episodes. It starts with the pony in her room, but it continues with Arthur is a lima bean can in reference to the lima bean can that uh, cut him. And I like that because that's making us assume that of all the things he could transform into, that's the most powerful. That's a great, that's a great catch. Like you are like it, it, it's not all subtle references, but that is a good one. I totally forgot about the lima beans can. So I missed that myself. DW also mentions that Arthur has his own, uh, uh, evil partner in crime bus Trantor, which is, Is wow. I've always wondered this. Is it bus Trantor or bus Transord? Bus Trantor, because this, this is a, this is a reference and a half here. So, Bus Trantor is the hungry robot, and he gets his own theme song, which is modeled after, and of course, the name is meant to uh, be just like Gigantor, oh. which was a, which was a children's uh, cartoon. Uh, here, I'm just going to look it up, make sure I don't get anything wrong. Essentially, it was an anime that was uh, dubbed over here in uh, North America. It's an American adaptation of the anime version of Tetsujin 28 Go, which is... Uh, which is a manga, and then it was an anime. But over here, it was called Gigantor. And is the song, like, themed to Gigantor similar to this song? It is. Here, I'll play a little bit of it right here. Gigantor! 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 Gigantor, the space age robot, is at your command. Gigantor, the space age robot, his power is in your hand. Yeah, it, it, it has that same kind of, you know, Gigantor, Gigantor, and so and they do that same sort of thing with Bustrantor, Bustrantor. I'm looking at pictures of him now. I've never heard of this, Will, and he looks... Very similar to uh, Buster's model in uh, the Arthur episode. My goodness, I had no idea. Someone must be like an old anime fan on the either writing or animation staff because we already had a reference to Astro Boy uh, or Mm -hmm. at least the, the writer of Astro Boy. And then this is like yet another anime reference. Yeah, for real. It's like it's a such a deep pull that I imagine a lot of our younger listeners didn't even realize it was a reference. Mm, as a, uh, I didn't. So 
Bus Trantor in this little aside breaks into a grocery store and starts eating everything. And uh, w- one of the lyrics in the songs in the song is Bus Trantor, the hungry robot likes veggies more than meat, which I wouldn't have necessarily guessed. I figured Buster was more of a meat eater, but maybe that's to do with the fact that he is a rabbit. And it rhymes with he just wants to eat. Yes, that is very true. Bustrantor and Arthur uh, steal the world's most valuable snowball, which Another of reference. course there's a, there's a, just a couple of shots here that are definitely uh, using stock footage from the first season, like the one of DW finding the snowball is gone, mm. but then it just goes to her saying they won't get away with this. <laughs> And we get a second of two transitions, which is the spinning BW logo, much like the old uh, Batman TV show. You're right in saying that, you know, keeping track of the references is almost a full-time job with this episode. Uh, BW has her own, like, uh, sky car. Or no, she has her own, like, jet-powered car, and it can teleport thanks to Walter Deer, who is in sort of like a command central uh, role. So we get to see him for, like, a bit of a vocal cameo. I love, like, the DW's metafiction. You could have a whole separate Arthur show that just took place in DW's imagination. Like, with Walter at the home base and and BW on the hunt with the, these, like, with the bus Trantor characters. I don't know, mm-hmm. like, this whole, even though this is all pretty much references to things that have happened in past Arthur episodes, there is, like, a logical consistency to the story, which I enjoy. Yeah, it's cool. Um... And again, more callbacks as BW uh, invades their hideout, which of course is like a souped up version of the treehouse. And there's all kinds of balance beams around there. So like she's using a grappling hook, but then has to make a quick escape. And she does like a perfect combo on the balance beam. And then so since this is DW's self-insert kind of fan fiction here, uh, she's able to do this. And Arthur says, nobody's that good on a balance beam. It's funny because a lot of these references are actually references to things that happened in season one, not season mm-hmm. two. Because uh, some yeah. of these, I had to think for a moment. And I was like, wow, what is this a reference to? And it was like episode three, episode four of season one. Like, they take it back. Hmm. And then she gets away from them. Uh, the Her car produces a bicycle, which has training wheels on it, which, of course, is a big thing for DW in the first season, like you said. But then... You know, they're, they're saying, like, she can't get away. She can't even ride a two-wheeler. And then the training wheels fall off, and she can ride a two-wheeler. And then those wheels fall off, and she starts flying. And Arthur says, not only could she ride a two-wheeler, she can ride a no-wheeler. Which is a great line. And then, uh, she's, and then she's riding it over a uh, uh, a lake, which they said had no octopuses, but actually is infested with thousands of octopuses. Yeah, and all of their tentacles kind of come up, and she's able to uh, navigate through them, whereas uh, Arthur and Bus Trantor are uh, mm. waylaid by them. So again, kind again, of over- reference to the uh, DW not wanting to swim at the beach in that early episode because she was scared there'd be an octopus. That's right. Uh, so she gets manages to get away from them, and her next kind of part of the adventure is that she goes out to a restaurant with her fa- with her mom and dad, and then only she was smart enough to know that the not to eat the spinach because it turns everybody else into spinach heads, which essentially, including her mom and dad, uh, everybody's skin turns green and they have kind of a spinach leaf dangling out of their mouth and they're just going, duh, duh. (laughs) 
She and, and the way she says spinach heads, like she goes, oh, like it's a disease. They go, oh no, she. They have spinach heads. Like they don't turn into spinach heads. Like spinach heads is an affliction affecting them. Uh, the yeah. whole thing is just kind of morbid and strange. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. Like they essentially become zombies. Like later on in the episode, as the as the progression worsens, like they actually grow spinach leaves out of which their I thought ears. was a great detail that they start to like grow spinach leaves over time. Yeah, it reminded me of The Last of Us a little bit with the mm. spores and everything. Uh, so the only thing that can cure spinach is the Power Ring of Power, which she knows is being used at her aunt Lucy's wedding. Of course, a callback to. When DW was the ring bearer at, in the wedding episode. And we That's actually right. talk about reusing footage. I think this is reused footage of the ring falling down the organ. Uh, yes. But the voiceover has changed in that, again, DW, always the hyperbolic, says she grabbed the ring before it fell to the center of the earth. Yeah, she reaches inside the organ and manages to get it. But she can't use the power ring of power because it only works when it is in tandem with the magic blankie, which DW realizes she's lost. Yet and again, that, another reference. So I need your help with this, Will. What was the blankie episode? I know DW's blankie is a thing, but I don't remember watching an episode that was like talking about DW's blankie yet. Oh, we definitely did. It was back in the first season where she lost her blankie and they looked everywhere for it at, like, the car wash and the sugar oh, bowl. Oh, okay, and then it was in the wash. Yes. Okay, so I remember maybe, now. Maybe not the most memorable episode. But, but like but like I said, like, a lot of these callbacks aren't from season two. They're from way back, season one. It has been a while since we've talked about those episodes, in total fairness. Uh and they realize that the magic blankie is at the super confusing all in one mart, which is, as you may remember, DW got lost in. Uh, in fact, you know, she's, uh, she is also with Nadine, who is a secret agent so secret, nobody else knew she existed. That's right. And no one else has even seen her. Even seen her. That's right. And they are running through all in one mart. And Nadine says, we're lost. And DW goes, we're not lost. And then again, kind of beating Arrested Development to the punch. I was just going to say, we insert Ron Howard voice. DW, who is reading the book, says they were lost possibly forever. <laughs> it's a re it's a real we're going to do this. They weren't sort of thing. Mm. Uh, and they managed to find not just uh, the blankie, but DW snowball, which is in a, the freezer section points the way out. Uh, she sees her blankie in Crazy Bus, which is being piloted by, or driven, excuse me, by Pickles the Clown. And we actually get a Crazy Bus heel turn here because it turns out that it's not Crazy Bus, it's Arthur in disguise. He's transformed into the visage of Crazy Bus. Uh, it's, it makes you wonder because you always think about, like, if someone was in, I think that's like an old robot chicken joke or something. Like, if someone was in a Transformer as they transformed, they'd get all squished. So I'm happy that, like, D, uh, like Arthur doesn't go straight from Crazy Bus into his robot form. He's got, like, a cage middle ground. So, like, at least DW wasn't, like, squished in the Crazy Bus. But it's, no, it, there I is... It, it, there is almost, like, a Cat Bus vibe to see, like, a life-size Crazy Bus with the face. Yeah, it's, uh... It, it's uh, bigger than I thought it would be. But again, this is kind of the, the most realized it's ever been. Uh, so Arthur Arthur kind of ha has her in his clutches, but then Spanky, uh, DW's faithful eagle, uh, comes to this, makes the scene like a streak of bird, she says. 
and Spanky, who is like a gigantic American bald eagle, uh, presses a button on Arthur's chest, which, as you said, uh, defaults to a cage in which Arthur and Bustrantor end up trapped in. It's like a canary cage. Mm. Why that's there, I mean, it's it's best not to question it. Uh, but, unfortunately, Spanky, and this is a bit out of nowhere, Spanky sacrificed himself to save B.W. His heart was too big. Yeah, Spanky, like, lands on his, like, perch and is totally fine and then falls to his death. Like... Like he took a heart attack or something. <laughs> exactly, yes. Because his heart was too big. The opposite Enlar- of Grinch syndrome. Enlarged heart. But then this leads to what I may be so bold as to say is a top 10 Arthur moment. We mentioned in the episode in season two where Arthur and DW meet the president. That, That's right. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're, they model the president after Bill Clinton. Slick and so Willie's return. I almost got up and cheered. I was like, Spanky's back. The whole what, – who – what else could they possibly bring back for this, like, uh, uh, cavalcade of Arthur inside jokes? I was not expecting for them to bring back Slick Willie. Absolutely. And he is there saluting um, su- uh, saluting Spanky in, like, a tribute. Uh, they put a statue of him on top of the Washington Monument, and we get him actually shedding tears over it. It's, and it's great. It's in the Bill Clinton imitation voice of just, Spanky was the bravest, boldest best bird (laughs) it was so good it is so good and that's kind of where the story essentially ends because as the tibbles are listening and they're like in rapture they're in tears over uh, spanky sacrifice that's the thing they're really upset over is like spanky's last minute deuce ex machina sacrifice which i kind of thought funny because it's like wow you guys are that invested in spanky you like you barely met him uh and so then it's time for them to go home. But they had such a great time that they ask Arthur if they can borrow the book, which DW almost stops them. But then they managed to uh, get uh, get away before she can say anything. But in the end, at least she was able to keep them quiet for an hour. And for yeah. even that amount of time, she was able to do something that they couldn't. It's a great moment where Arthur's like, DW, they're going to figure out you lied. And DW, and DW goes, who cares? For one day, I did something better than them. Like, she doesn't mind that they fig- if they figure out she's a liar. All she wanted to do was get something over the Tibble Twins and have them be quiet for an hour. Uh, and the episode ends with the Tibble Twins uh, getting ready for bed that night. And Mrs. Tibble begins reading the book, which turns out is about Leonardo da Vinci. And the Tibble Twins are confused, and Tommy asks, who's Lemon Yellow Da Vintage? <laughs> Which is a great line. And, and she says, but this book is about Leonardo Da Vinci, not about B.W. And they're just like, hey, you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, it's a magic book. <laughs> Every time you read it, it's a different story. Which makes more sense than D.W. was lying the whole time, I guess. But again, the Tibble Twins, not the sharpest knives in the drawer. And it ends with them being essentially being like, I can't wait to be to read like DW. Me too. <laughs> okay, so two DW centric episodes with plenty of appearances from the Tibble Twins. Uh, let's go back to DW. All fired up. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? 
I'm torn about All Fired Up, because I like it in theory. There's a lot of really good, sharp lines, and I sort of like DW's arc of being the most anxious about the fire to sort of keeping a level... I think the best moment in the whole episode is when the fire drill's actually happening as the climax, and DW's sort of keeping a level head and uh, making sure everybody's doing the right thing while everybody else is relatively unprepared and kind of panicking. I think that's a really cool, triumphant moment, and I think there's also lots of great jokes, like DW saying her elbow's all wrinkly or telling uh, Arthur to go back into his cell. But besides that, I found this episode kind of plodding and boring just because it's one of those episodes where it's very... It's Arthur when it seems like it's intended for a younger audience, which makes sense because DW is younger. But it's like I could see where the episode was going from a mile away. And also it's one of those episodes where the entire plot is predicated on a misunderstanding, which you know is what a pet peeve of mine. So uh, I didn't really enjoy watching it. It's one of the ones where I had more fun talking about it than watching it. It's one that I probably wouldn't watch again, but I, I can't say it was bad or anything, just not my cup of tea. Hmm. I totally agree with you. And I, and I was just thinking that, like we've said before, that Arthur has done a couple episodes where it's kind of uh, nakedly an episode that is meant to be like sending a message and usually the best Arthur episodes are the ones that kind of weave that into the narrative and don't make it so obvious this one seemed like you know a real really a PSA on fire safety which is which is <laughs> not true. bad they do go completely through the do- stop drop and roll and I had forgotten the tip about the wet towel uh, which again like it's not a bad thing it's just it doesn't hold up for an older audience. So for young kids, it's fine. And there's even, like like we said, there's some really good lines in here. And I think it's a, a, a fine DW episode. But it just doesn't hold a lot. Like, I'm, like again, I don't mean to take away all your points or anything. But uh, I, I wouldn't really be watching this one again. But it, I definitely didn't hate it. It was just kind of there. You could tell, uh, like, I didn't yeah. have very notes about it. And that's always a, a sign that... Like, an episode's fairly simplistic. Well, we don't... And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's good, simple episodes. But you could always tell, like, with the episodes where we don't really talk about it that much or it doesn't take us long to go through the plot, that it's sort of mm, trying to do something different. That's right. And I I didn't have very many notes about it either. Uh, Now, as it goes for I'd Rather Read It Myself, I liked this episode. I wouldn't say that I loved it, but I really appreciate it. Uh, Like, just talking about it and seeing all of the stuff that not only I wrote down of all the references to Arthur lore, but all the stuff that I missed, there's even more than I even really realized i wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple that we both missed but i i think it's it's a it's a neat idea and the whole meat of the episode is this story that dw does and it's really rewarding as somebody who's watched uh all of the arthur episodes especially recently uh to see this kind of continuity in place and again again the lore of uh dw's side of things and i just thought it was very creative i thought it was funny like very funny at times and uh, yeah, this is this is this is a good one. Me and you are sharing a brain today because I totally agree. Um, I wonder how well this episode works if you're not watching the show like we are. Like I think we have the benefit 
of watching the show in linear episodic order. So this stuff really hits home with us and works from like seeing all these references play out. Watching the show in syndication, I don't know if this episode works as well, but we watched it the way we watched it and I loved it. I love it when Arthur references itself, like I say time and time again, uh, like every time DW Snowball comes up or something like that, it makes the Arthur world seem super well realized and realistic because in real life you reference things that happened in the past. So instead of being just any old story a week kind of cartoon, when it references itself, it just makes the Arthur world seem all the more real. But it's not just references, it's really creative in the way it does it. Like, everything makes sense from DW's perspective. So instead of just DW referencing that she was on the balance beam once, she's like, in her imagination, a perfect on the balance beam in reference to she you know, what didn't immediately take to being on the balance beam because you have to practice for years and years, and so she kind of fell out of interest with gymnastics. In this episode, she's like a ba balance beam uh, uh, a savant uh, almost instantly. So it all the logic in the dream sequence, or, or, or the story sequence, rather, makes perfect sense with because DW is the one telling it. I'll also say that the framing device for this episode is really creative, too. Like we said earlier, uh, I like seeing DW as the voice of reason when put up next to the Temple Twins. That's just, like, a fun pairing of characters. So I really enjoyed the out-of-imagination stuff as well. Just overall, a really, really entertaining episode. Almost the opposite of Fire Drill in that I would definitely go back and watch this one again. For sure. Great. Glad that we're of uh, two minds. That's actually some, sometimes a little bit rare. But what do you think? Did you enjoy these this uh, this pack of DW stories? Or do you feel a bit differently? You know, there are ways that you can let us know exactly what you think. And I'll tell them to you right now. <laughs> uh, we are on social media. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Uh, thank you for the recent reviews over there. And for the mentions uh, in the... Uh, I, I looked in I looked at our mentions there and I saw that uh, there have been a couple people spreading the word, which we really appreciate. Share this episode with your friends or anybody you think might like us. At ECL Podcast on Twitter, on Tumblr, elbitcitylimits.tumblr.com. And yes, we do accept asks as well. If you'd like to send us an email, just like Lily did, thank you very much, Lily, uh, elbitcitylimits at gmail.com. Uh, finally, we are on uh, the following platforms. Apple Podcasts, give us a subscribe and uh, rate and review us as well, if you please. Uh, we are on go the Google Play Store. Rate us over there. And we are also at elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. And finally, as I, as I know I said finally twice, So this, but this is really the final thing. So starting this week, you will be able to listen to our very first commentary of Arthur's Perfect Christmas. Now, at this point in the week, still have to get a few things ironed out. So I will say that if you go to one of our social media pages, be that the Facebook, the Twitter, or the Tumblr, you will be able to find the post giving you all the information on how you can listen to the commentary. And you can sync it up. Uh, there is a YouTube video of Arthur's Perfect Christmas, or maybe you have it on DVD, or you're watching it another way. You can sync it up and watch it with Lucas and I. It's like we're in the room right next to you. And share a little... <laughs> A little bit of the holidays with your two pals here at Elwood City Limits. I really hope that you enjoy it, and uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, one last thing that I'll say before I forget, and uh, I won't bring this up every time. I just wanted to point this out now that we're into the holidays. If you're feeling generous, 
if you go to elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com. There's a little button under the uh, Facebook widget there, and it says Donate. If you ever feel generous and would like to donate to the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. That said, don't feel like you need to. Elwood City Limits is free, and I plan to keep it that way. But if the spirit of the season strikes you, and you want to give a, you want to give thanks to uh, Lucas and I, then feel free to do so. That is the way that I would suggest you do so, as well as getting in touch with us. That is think, as good as gold as well. Think of it as a gift for us giving you all this sweet, sweet free content. And that'll be continuing as we uh, can as we go on into December. Uh, I don't have an advent calendar this year. That kind of bums me out. I have to either buy my own or go without. Oh, buddy, you know I got those advent calendars on decky. Sharon, your girl always hooks me up with the advent calendar. Also, uh, if you're looking for a David's Tea advent calendar, give me a ring because I also have plenty of those. <laughs> well, next week, or next week or next time that you hear from us, we're going to be continuing on to Arthur Season 3. We're going to be looking at Arthur Goes Crosswire and Sue Ellen and the Brainosaurus. Ooh, dinosaurs. All right, so until next time, uh, continue to have a Merry Christmas season and a happy holiday time. Uh, my name's Will Young for Lucas Mancini. Oh, shoot. Uh, let me see, <laughs> let me see. Uh, there was one that I was thinking of. There's like a bunch of good lines in this episode. It's uh, hard to pick. I know. <laughs> you know what? Here's the one I'm going with. A word from me. Firefighter Scott. For Lucas Mancini and for Firefighter Scott, that's it for Elwood City Limits this week. Check out our commentary, and uh, we'll see you next time.